Hey, welcome back to this season of the Digital Orthopics podcast, where we bring you the audio files from the DocSF Experience 2022. I'm Dr. Stefano Bini, your host for this podcast and the founder and chair of DocSF. In this podcast, our last podcast in this season, we'll hear from none other than Paul Limbury, the managing director, global agencies and partners at Google. He's going to talk about digital transformation and some of the key things he's learned about successful implementation of new technology in any system, whether it's healthcare or otherwise. He has tremendous experience. I think I was taking notes furiously throughout this particular lecture. Hope you enjoy it. So let's join Paul Limbry on the Doc SF stage in 2022. We'll be starting with a, with a talk on digital transformation and how we're gonna to get to this beautiful, amazing, exciting, somewhat scary future that we've painted for you in 2037 in the last day and a half. To get us thinking about that, we have an amazing speaker who's currently the managing director of global agencies and partnerships at Google, had uh, spent some time at Cisco and also had some startup experiences, so really understands the whole ecosystem of how, integrate, how to develop and integrate technology. And secondly, he studied at University of Sydney, which is, I think, one of his great achievements. So come on up, Paul Limbry. Welcome. My experience professionally over the last few years, I've been at Google. And as Steph said, I run the agency and partner group. I also run a data and technology team. So I work with 50 of Google's largest customers across automotive, the technology sector, I'll say pharmaceuticals and health as opposed to, to medical and some others, consulting to them on how do they transform their marketing operations and how they transform their digital, become a better, smarter marketer using the available technologies. And then I run relationships with the McKinsey's and Bain's and Boston Consulting Group and all the large agencies. So I get exposed to the companies that deliver transformation services to businesses. And through that journey, I get, I've been exposed a lot to what works and what doesn't with digital transformation. Um, so hopefully I've got some nuggets in here that'll be relevant for you all in, in your business and how you operate. We'll see, there's no, and what I can assure you is there's no rocket science in, in anything that I'll deliver. The first comment I'll make is digital transformation is not about technology. And this is maybe the first great misunderstanding. I think technology development is all about technology. So the folks from Striker here, or others when they're developing the actual technologies they use. That is all about the technology. Or if Ivan was here and some of my colleagues from Google, when I'm working with them, what they do is all about the technology. But a digital transformation effort into an organization involves two other elements. And it's the two other elements in my experience where the problems come with regards to successfully implementing digital transformation. Those two other elements are one, people, and the second one, processes. For, for want of an expression. Now, when I say processes, what I mean by that is workflows, handoffs, the way, the way business gets conducted in an organization between different departments and lots of groups of humans working together to deliver a service or an outcome. So digital transformation is not actually about technology. It's about the intersection of technology with people and process. The, now, the challenge with that, this fellow here is a guy by the name of Astro Teller, um, at Google, people might have heard of a part of Google called Google X, the moonshot factory. So Astro founded that. And a number of years ago, he made the assertion that the, the rate of change within technology is actually now outpacing the ability of humans to adapt to it. 
So we've got this interesting challenge where the technology is moving so fast, we can't, as a species, even adapt fast enough. And you see that in your own change management challenges when you do shift from your Apple phone to your, to your SpaceX phone in a few years' time. The change management problem you'll have there will be the biggest pain getting used to it. So it's not actually the technology per se, but it's the change along the way. You see examples of that just as, a, as an individual consumer. So this leads me to like an, an interesting statistic. I get to work with McKinsey and the like. So this is data from them. Shockingly, 70% of general transformations in the corporate world fail. They don't achieve their targets. Um, in the digital transformation space with digital analytics and things like that, I work in the number goes up a little bit higher, but it's still already at 70%. It's, it's ridiculously high. The, the thought of like starting a project in an organization and whether you can get there. So with that, you sort of go, well, hang on, what's going there? What's going wrong with these projects if it's the intersection of people, process, and technology? And with that, we find that there's four things that I've learned and that my teams talk to the C-suite about in our customers about how to get better at landing a digital transformation effort or a data and analytics change effort inside a large organization. The first thing, have a change plan, like just have one. Beginning of this. The second thing is, what's your sponsor spine within the organization? Well, you know, that's really, really critical. It's the number one thing that stops projects from successfully running to completion. Then you've got people managers, the middle managers, the messy middle of the organization failing to properly engage. And then the final thing is, you've got to have a plan for the end state. So let's unpack these things here and I'll go through them one at a time and then uh, hopefully that'll be some fodder for some, uh, some aha moments and, uh, and maybe some, some Q&A. So the first thing, just have a change strategy for your transformation. Even a bad change strategy, poorly done, results in a, you are three times more likely to have a successful outcome than if you don't have one. Now, the better quality that you get within your change strategy, it's exponential, the impact that it has on the, the, end, the ending success. So then the question is, all right, well, if I want to have even a bad change strategy, what are some of the things I should be thinking about to do that? I'll offer up a few things here for consideration. The first thing would be do a pre-mortem. Everyone's familiar with that. I'm sure there's, there's actually people in here have seen more dead bodies than I have. I, well, I'm sure you guys try not to actually, isn't it? Try not to. The, um, a pre-mortem, though, is a really, really valuable process to do. You do not need to hire a consultant to have a great change management plan within your organization. What you need to do is get three or four of your top people, sit in a room for an hour, start the timer with a whiteboard, and, then, and challenge each other to write down. And it's like the, what Steph said, you know, pretend you're in 2037. What are all the things that, that went wrong in this project that could go wrong that went wrong? and just start jotting them down on the board. And then once you've jotted those down on the board, and many of you have done this, just go through the process of what could have I done to mitigate that risk? Just doing that process will save you so much resource and time and sweat just starting there. That would be the first simple step that I would recommend anyone. Now, of course, you could go hire McKinsey or Bain and they'll bring a whole process in and it gets way more sophisticated and they're incredible service providers who do amazing things. But if you don't want a 100-page slide deck and you don't want to sit through all those workshops, you can just do that pre-mortem as a first step. The second thing I do, and this is what I learned from working with some of the entertainment companies, think about the, your processes. When I think about processes, I think about data governance, especially I think about processes related to data and information flows. 
So I think about data governance, I think about data accessibility, I think about privacy policies. So an example, one of the large entertainment businesses based in LA and New York, they might have made shows like Game of Thrones and have movies like Superman. They realized a few years ago that they were being out-competed by Netflix. Netflix had just completely changed the business model within the entertainment business. And they realized they didn't have any information data sources that they could leverage to help drive consumers to their different offerings. So they built, they invested in some amazing technology. They brought in some amazing consultants. They built this incredible data lake that enabled them to do things. And then just when they were about to go live, they realized they had no policies around data sharing between different entities. These were different entities that had different contracts, different rights management deals with different studios, with different producers. They couldn't just share movie uh, details of information between if you watched, say, Game of Thrones, do you think there is a more likelihood that you'd be interested in seeing a Superman movie? Because they were owned by different parts of the business. You need to take a step back and think as you're implementing your transformation, what are the policy implications within my own organization and what I need to be aware of in order to make those changes actually real? That one little thing about not having policy approval to share information between different business units costs six months. And six months is millions of dollars and wasted time to sort of drive, drive a change effort through conclusion. The next area would be people. You need to look at the capabilities of your human capital when you're looking at transformation effort. And we often forget the change that's going to be required and the skills that the organization's going to need to be able to have in order to be successful. So first of all, you need to look at your education capability. So how are you investing in the talent within your organization to upskill them as to how to use the new technology or the new systems or processes that you're delivering? So a, a fundamental onboarding program and, and training mechanisms. Now, what I've learned the most from, and I'm happy to say this, this has been recorded, right, isn't it, Steph? But Adidas, Adidas, I like to say Adidas, are incredible with regards to how they're investing in their human capital. A fantastic organization with great leadership, but they built a... First of all, they built a digital relationship with one of the universities here. In, I think it was uh, Arizona University. Um, they built a relationship with them. They built a specific Masters of Digital program that they started putting executives through. They created a work schedule where you could take one day off a week to invest in that Masters program. It was specifically designed for their employees. They then created a learn, do, teach framework for their executives. It's so easy for us as we get more senior to rely on other people in the organization. So there was a three-step process. You would learn about what the new capabilities are. You would then have to do it. And then the final step of the program was you would have to teach it, knowing that if you just went to the, the training program, the retention of just going to a training course is dreadful. Whereas if you have to teach the material, then you know. Or if you do it, it, it's great. But then if you do and teach, the retention is off the charts. They looked at reverse mentoring programs, which became one of the most successful endeavors in their organization where they're getting the people with experiences and skills paired up with those that not and providing some reverse mentoring opportunities uh, within the organization. And this is the one I love best. They looked at their staffing and HR department and they went and trained. Well, first of all, they went and looked at their recruitment process and they wondered why they kept on recruiting people who looked like the people who didn't have the skills they needed in the first place. And that's because all their staffing processes were looking for the same people that they've been hiring for the last 15 years. Then they had to go back to their staffing group and then look at 
And just little things like introducing trigger words like CRM system, experience with loyalty systems, just tiny little things that you'd put that a, that a recruiter who doesn't have expertise in that space can ask and then start to hear some stories from prospective candidates was a game changer in getting the right type of talent flowing into the organization. Now, the next element of a base level change plan, I like to call 771. And actually, if there's one thing that I'd want you to remember from this, this is maybe the one in my work experience at Google trying to drive change within my own organization. It is for me the one that I'm perhaps most passionate about. 771 means if you want a person in your organization to hear an organizational message once, you need to repeat yourself seven times in seven different formats. And that results in one landing of a message, which means I have to do an all hands. I have to send out an email. I have to make a video. I have to go to an individual team meeting. I've got to go to my leadership meeting and get my 11 direct reports. So you've got to go through it. And doing that is a horrible experience because after about three times, you feel like a broken record. And nobody wants to treat someone like that where you're just repeating yourself again and again and again. It starts to feel like a marriage. You don't, you don't want to feel like you're repeating yourself all the time. And you don't want people who are listening to you to feel like you're just repeating yourself over and over. That's not treating anyone with any respect. That like people are smart enough, they, they've got the message the first time. Like, why are you repeating yourself? It doesn't work as a part of a, a, a transformation effort. You have to repeat yourself seven times, seven different ways to get one landed message. The next thing, having a visible and active executive sponsor. The number one reason why IT projects fail in corporations is the lack of a visible sponsor. Uh, there's a, a gentleman I work with, um, and he is an incredible executive, incredible. And I've had the opportunity to work with him twice in two, two organizations. In the first organization, and his playbook, by the way, is the same. In his first organization, he got chewed up and spat out of a large American automotive company within six months. And the reason why he got chewed up and spat out within six months is he thought he had executive sponsorship within the organization. It turned out when he arrived and he tried to drive a change agenda, he did not have the coverage. Then he went to another organization. In this case, the CEO who said he had his back actually had his back because there's a hero in every digital transformation. And the fact that you people are here is, I'm hazarding a guess, you guys are actually the heroes of transformation. In our business, we call you change agents. So with my teams, I'm always asking them, have you identified who the change agent is within this organization? Who is the person that is passionate about this change that is going to drive and make it happen within the organization. And we have to identify the change agent. Now, once we've identified the change agent, the next question is always, who is their sponsor and how much genuine power do they have within the organization? And then, and are they willing to use that power to protect the change agent when the time comes? Because it is inevitable if you are driving some type of transformation effort in your organization, you will be unpopular. Status quo is where people are at in organizational life. So the sponsor is the muscle. They don't, they don't have to come, to, well, they actually, a good executive sponsor rarely shows up to any meeting at all, but they're active and, and the organization knows that they're active. Now, if you lose a sponsor, because this is the other thing, the, the challenge with sponsors in organizations, they're usually really talented, senior people, they get paid a lot, but in those jobs, you've got a, you've got a short lifespan in those jobs, a couple of years, 
or you get headhunted to go somewhere else. Most, most often what happens for a change agent is their sponsor moves on. And when the sponsor moves on, oh my God, you are exposed as a change agent. You, get ex you are then just open to the whim of political machinations of humans together with different agendas. The first thing that you do if that happens to you and you're the change agent, do not panic. Do not have a meeting of senior executives and try and shop for a new executive sponsor with five, 10 people in a room. It will never happen. You acquire a sponsor in the shadows, in one-to-one -one engagements, at lunch, over coffee, talking to people. So if you are in a situation, and we just, I just had a great experience with a, a guy who's running a large company down in Los Angeles who was telling this story. He got shipped over here from London, given 15 people and $15 million to drive this transformation effort, arrives in LA from London, brought his whole family over, and two months into the job, his sponsor moves on. And then he spends the next six months, no one taking meetings with him in a new city with his family, just trying to work out how to handle like Pacific Palisades. And it's difficult. And so he thought, oh, well, let's have a board meeting. Let's get everyone together and pitch why this is really important and see what happens. And it was a train wreck. It cost him another four months before he then finds a president who he can have lunch with, willing to sort of make some agreements and understand some things. And then you've got a sponsor. Now, once you have a sponsor, you have to then build coalitions. Now, the trick with building coalitions, the, the currency of building coalitions in a transformation effort are stories. Stories are your currency. So, and if you can have data-driven stories, even better. Because when you build coalitions, you're trying to find the people in the organization, the expression we have is find the scientists. And this is, this is not true at all, it's a massive generalization, but it's, it's good for landing a point with teams. The, you want to find the people that are data-driven, that want to understand why this is a good thing for the organization versus the other people in your organization who are experiences-driven. And experiences-driven people are incredible because you learn a lot from experience. But experience becomes a two-edged sword because over time, if you've had these positive experiences or negative experiences, they become buffers to change. And if you're trying to lead a change effort, someone who is experience-driven um, is not going to be the great coalition builder that you need. You want to find the scientists, the people who let their past experiences drop behind them very quickly and want to see evidence to change as fast as they can. Once you've got your, uh, your, your change agent and you've got your sponsor and you're starting to build coalitions, the change is never going to transform the organization unless you get the middle of the organization, which brings us to the third point here. We often forget the real engine of the businesses that we run is not just the rank and file, it's the, it's the managers with Stefano Bini here and, and Fabrizio. It makes me think of the centurions in the Roman army. I can't, do it. I can't keep doing a silly accent. For those that love, like a student of history, I, I, I think it's incredible what ancient Rome achieved around the world. And the organization in their military, when they didn't have modern day communication devices, they just had to like go down a road and get on a boat and go, go to Greece and conquer somewhere or get up to Gaul and do what they need to do. They empowered the centurions. So each part of that military unit, they broke down into, into little cohorts. And the most important part of that functioning unit back in, the, in Roman times was the centurion who ran, as the name would suggest, 100 people. Because that's enough people for one person to set up a, a relationship with and, and have a management structure and have clear clarity communication. Now, in our transformations, our centurions in organizational life are in a tough spot. Middle management, 
in between your individual contributors and then there's you as a change agent and then there might be senior leadership in your organisation. Now, the problem is this. Individual contributors love innovation. They want to work on innovative projects. They want to get in because that's their ticket to then moving through the corporate journey and, and getting promoted and getting new opportunities. But they're willing to take risks and expose themselves and be go-getters. Senior people also have, you know, at, at the right level in the organisation are driving for more profitability, lower costs, increases in revenue. So when you look at that, middle managers are in the bind though. For them, it's about managing risk upwards and managing volatility downwards. So you really have to think about what your strategies are to engage the middle cohort in your organization to drive a transformation effort. If you leave them behind, you do not get to the end state, which is designing with the end. You get stuck in pilot land. So this is a final point here, and this is maybe the biggest battle that I'm facing right now in my, in my day job. If you want to drive innovation, it means that you are confronting status quo. But the organizations I work with are huge multinational organizations with billions of dollars of revenue and thousands of employees. And so there's a lot of status quo. There's a lot of sort of mission critical work that needs to be managed. So to drive innovation, you're actually challenging and drive transformation. You are challenging the status quo by, by very definition. So how do you do that? And you need a lot of ideas because most ideas don't work out. But then you need to start to pilot things. And hopefully this, we'll see whether this resonates with people. Pilots are the enemy of transformation. What you find is we find, I find some organizations fall so in love with pilots that all they want to do is pilots because pilots become a currency for self-promotion within the organization. I ran a successful pilot, that enables me to then find the next thing and, and it's good for them personally, but it doesn't transform the business. So you need to look at how the piloting of your transformation projects work. You need to then put some steps in place to ensure that the minute you find a pilot that is successful, you then need a process in place to move to the standard business servicing teams. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of companies invest in innovation teams, an innovation group that does the innovation. And they're incredible people. Some of the your best and brightest and smartest people find their way into those groups because you need creative people in organizational life to generate the ideas that come in those areas compared to people that say who work in your IT department or you've got people in your finance teams. These people aren't, aren't working with the goal in mind to service innovation or transformation. They have the goal in mind to service the business. By definition, their role in the organization is to actually help maintain efficiency. So they are not there looking to do, I'll make sure I get this expression right, your innovation teams are looking to do better things. The teams that service the business are just looking to do things better. And that tension, though, is the magic to designing with the end state in mind. The minute you see a successful pilot, that means you've found a do things better. You have to work out how you pass and incentivize the teams that do better things to be part of that journey because they are the teams that protect status quo and drive innovation. Some of the folks I'm working with right now have introduced really cool incentive systems and credit-based systems where the teams that get the corporate credit for an innovative pilot are the teams that service the business. So think about that. The innovation team does not get credit for great innovations. It's the, say for example, the IT team and the finance team that then enable it or the, um, in your business, I'd love to hear some examples as to like what other functions. So the teams that are there that drive scale should get the reward and the credit 
for the innovation being scaled, not the innovation team getting the reward and credit for coming up with the innovation. So if you think about those nuances, that's how you can work towards uh, designing with the end in mind. You have to think scale first, not pilot first. Um, and that's maybe the bane of the transformation, certainly in, in my business right now, the transformation efforts. Um, who gets the win? Who gets the credit becomes a key driver in where we're at. So I'd love to sort of hear from people and, and uh, get comments if anyone's got any questions. Um, I'll be here for a, a few moments to chat with folks. I, I am very grateful to spend a few moments talking about things that might be completely off kilter with what you guys are trying to do in your industry. Um, but thank you for your time. Stay focused on these things and good luck with your own transformation journeys. New change agents are heroes. I haven't done this yet, but this uh, we're beginning the interactive part of the uh, of this of the evening, the afternoon, the, the the session. Well, that was amazing, brilliant, and I've heard you talk about these concepts. I found them absolutely fascinating. You put them together beautifully for us. Where to start? Um, I thought that the slide with those four points about uh, getting the one that I have found personally to be the most critical is executive leadership. Yes, and uh, I have definitely walked in situations where something had to be done. I looked up stream, I was like, they're not interested, I'm not doing it. I could have done it, I've done it elsewhere, but it's not gonna go anywhere, it's a waste of time. So how do you approach a company? If you go in a company and they, they, they say they wanna do digital transformation, but at heart, they don't wanna change, it's more like they wanna talk about it. Does that ever happen? It happens all the time. So most, the moment there's a big kick in my industry around, uh, there's, a, there's a, we're all talking about first party data. So consumers are getting more and more concerned about how big internet tech giants follow them around the internet. And rightly so, like we need to have uh, stronger regulation at a federal level around like what do we do with data and people's data? How's that data used and shared? Which means every customer we're talking to, we're talking about you've got to invest in first, first party relationships between you and your customers. Every single executive talks to us about that. Everyone says they have a project. I would say only two out of 10 are doing the things that you need to do to make it real. I'm fortunate in that I'm senior enough to go in and, and be a provocateur within, and, and so I often find I get used by a change agent in a company to come in to speak to a CFO, be a provocateur to see if we can unlock some type of sponsorship. But that gets to the, the world of like being politically savvy. The, I find the great change agents have a few traits in mind. I use, the, I use the letter P to describe it, that they have a point of view on what they're trying to do drive. They're persuasive people, but the most important thing is they're politically savvy. So you've got to be attuned to the political dynamics in your organization. And in a lot of organizations, those political dynamics mean status quo, because until there's a change in that leader, you know, I think there's an expression about universities, you know, progress happens one death at a time as the tenured, <laughs> as the tenured professor passes away and someone new can come in with new ideas. Sometimes that's the reality within organizations. That's what we're always asking. Who's the change agent? Do they have a sponsor? Does the sponsor have freight? You know, do they have power in the organization? I wanted you to speak a little bit about the sponsor. I find that uh, a lot of times people get moved up into that role and they actually haven't been given the training to understand that your role is to give political cover. So when you talk about being politically savvy, when you are that person who is the sponsor, how can we help them to be better sponsors? I mean, you, you've got a group of change agents here and sometimes they have a sponsor, but oftentimes the sponsor might not know how to give them political cover. And the really good ones do, but as you're learning. If you guys are really trying to drive change, you need data. You need information. So I would be telling stories with data. 
And then you've got to see, because you've got to, and, and again, seriously, do it one at a time. Do not go into a room. You are not in presentation mode. You're trying to win over the organization. These are one-to-one or one-to-two meetings. And if you've got good information based on some of the things you've been doing or your team's been doing, that you can paint a vision as to where this is going to go, I would, I would use numbers to try and get there. Otherwise, it's, a, it's an emotional plea and you're saying that the person themselves maybe mightn't have the, the skills. The biggest thing, though, if that's your situation, you've really got to assess where the change can happen within your organisation. I'm sorry to say that as well. Like, sometimes you've got, to, you've got to look at what change is possible to drive within your organisation. And sometimes that might be the cold, hard reality, and that might be something that you can talk about, saying, look, we'd want to do this, but unless you are willing to do these things, you've got to be careful because it becomes career-limiting, right? And what have, you, what have you got at risk to drive those conversations and when you can and can't speak? It's, I have one other really important one, pilots. Yes. Called pilotitis. Yes, okay. we hate that, it. Yes. That is the disease. That is such a tricky piece. There are so many people that are really comfortable with that. And what that says to me is we're not willing to fully invest. Like we're, we're just going to have a pilot. So what is the language or what, what are the, because pilot right now, I just think that there's so many people who are very comfortable with that because they know that there's a limit. If it doesn't work, my career's not at risk. So what would be the language or what would be something that would be a better replacement rather than going into this pilot mode? What would you encourage a change agent to propose? And can I add to that before yeah. that? Yeah. Because from the other side, if I am the senior sponsor, I don't want to take a huge risk without a pilot just shows me that's going to actually work. So how do you And this is exactly the that? way he's describing this is the exact yeah. dynamic that I see in yeah. so many houses. So, so speed becomes really important. The, okay. the, the companies we're saying that do best do two things. One, if a pilot can't generate a result within a quarter, move on. It's too complicated to move okay. on. So you've got to iterate and move fast. The second thing is your incentive systems. Who gets the win? You cannot reward pilot teams for successful pilots. And I think the other part too is that you, there is the wins. And I, what I have seen in a lot of our health systems, it's not the win, it's the risk of the loss yes. that most people are, are betting or really hedging their well, bets I, And around. so I, we have, uh, within Google, Fair. we've seen some great teams, some great leaders within Google have done fail of the month. And yeah. the person who risked and failed actually gets the most kudos within the organization. So what, what are your organizations prizing? Yes, yeah. If, if you've got a low tolerance for risk, then the first thing I do is I do some type of thing to reward risk-taking and celebrate people who have failed. You've got to change that culture within your organization if you want to move that behavior. And that's, you know, there's, there's no rocket science here. But it's, and it's hard to do and you've got to be committed to do it. But you cannot reward pilots. That's the one thing that I've learned in the last two years because we've, even my team right now, we, I've just, before I came in here, I was on a call talking about ass, at assessment programs and we went, guys, like, how, we, need, we don't want assessments. We need to get the finished result. So if we just incentivize assessment, 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 we don't do a lot of assessments, but the assessment has to turn into actual delivery. And so we, now we've got to talk to the teams about you actually get massive rewards for a successful delivery. And then you see the innovations within your teams to actually get that because if you reward pilot assessment you will get that you will get more pilots any other questions that you guys have in regards to driving change within an organization can you speak to some of your learnings um what you've seen when we look at we were all in person and now so many organizations are fully virtual so what are some of the learnings challenges maybe even advantages from one to the other um what we're seeing from our data is that the amount of innovation in a virtual environment is dropping a little bit. The amount of productivity has increased a lot. So it's a trade-off between, like in terms of innovation, the virtual environment hasn't been as good in terms of generating ideas and collaborating. 
Uh, that's why Google's gone back to a hybrid environment. Now, we're seeing some challenges with that, by the way. This week, I've done three 18-hour days because we're back in the office. So people are in the office and then you do work, there's an event, there's talks, there's meetings, and then there's a, a dinner and you're out and you're going, whoa, you, you, they're going, I can't sustain this because I can't stay awake. So the, the pendulum's maybe swung a little bit too hard on the hybrid. We haven't worked out how to do it right yet. But that, that's the, the, the only data I've seen in our organisations is the teams that are getting that mix right. Teams that are fully virtual are driving tons of productivity, but not as many new ideas and new processes, new processes as the ones that do stuff there. I don't know if that helps. So thanks for your question. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for your patience having time. We hope you enjoyed this presentation and will consider joining us live in San Francisco for DocSF 2023 when we will explore how digital technologies will enhance, support, and enable the expansion of the outpatient surgery arena. Register now to join our mailing list at docsf.health, docsf.health, and be the first to access our limited tickets. DocSF, join the revolution.